7.35 nearly. Now, when an Iranian oil tanker collided with a Chinese freight ship in the East China Sea early this month, it was transporting oil-based condensate to this country. The death toll reached 32, but 29 of those victims are still unaccounted for. You may remember images of the flames reaching high into the sky. It was impossible for rescuers to get anywhere near it. But then we also have other questions like the environmental impact, whether we should be eating seafood from the area, how concerned we should be for the environment and the long-term, maybe irreversible future impact. Richard Steiner is a retired University of Alaska professor, marine conservation and biologist with Oasis Earth. Thank you very much for speaking with us. Thank you and good morning in South Korea. And, and we have an article from the Guardian newspapers which, uh, which says consumers in Japan, China and South Korea should be wary of buying seafood until governments in the region have monitored and released details about the toxic impact of the Sanchi oil spill, the, the vessel known as Sanchi. Um, this is a warning from scientists uh, cited here saying that there may be um, carcinogenic contaminants. Would that be a major concern for you? It's certainly a concern. There's a lot we don't know about condensate spills of this magnitude simply because this is the largest ever. But there's some things we do know. We don't even actually know exactly what precise condensate this was, and I've been trying to find out. But certainly from the fishery and the human health standpoint, I recommended both to the governments of Japan and China early on that they close the fisheries in the region that could have potentially been exposed to this uh, pollutant um, until they can confirm that the water quality is back to background levels of uh, contaminants and that the seafood coming from there is safe. My understanding is they have not acted on that, and uh, that's standard procedure in any major offshore pollution event. You close the fisheries at least to in- to assure the consumers on shore that they're not that there's no very little possibility of having contaminated product in the market. It's very concerning to say the least. Uh, I mean, is this a a very fishery rich area? Uh, would would a lot of seafood be coming out of there? It is. It is actually. It's a pretty productive. Although the East China Sea is fairly degraded from chronic pollution coming down the rivers, in particular the Yangtze uh, through China. The offshore region is still pretty productive, and there's a couple, about 200 different fish species that are commercially fished in the region, including things like croakers, scad, pomfrey, squid, cuttlefish, crab, shrimp, etc. And um, yes, certainly that fishery, that seafood harvest, needs to be closed until they can confirm that the background water quality is down to background levels. As well, they need to sample the fishery products that are ca- that are caught in the region they at least need to do that to ensure that to see if there's any contamination in the tissues so and some of this stuff that we do know is in condensate is something called benzene which is carcinogenic it's well known to be carcinogenic and the world health organization standard is down to 10 part per billion so that's a very very dilute level of benzene that is hazardous and can be carcinogenic. So they need to be careful about this, certainly. It's also hard to see, isn't it? It's not like a black 
slick that we might have uh, seen in the past with heavier oils just spilling out of ships' fuel tanks. This is um, a light oil that um, you can't see, right? Do we know the extent of the damage? That's exactly right. Exactly right, Alex. And this stuff is, is the, it's actually a gaseous form in the oil reservoir. And then when it's produced up the wellhead, uh, it loses the pressure and condenses. And that's why it's called natural gas condensate. Every, every condensate is different. They have different physical properties and different, uh, toxicities. But what we do know is they behave, they all behave very different than crude oil. They do not create a surface slick containment and recovery with conventional booms and skimmers is really impossible. All of this stuff has three main fates. It burns, evaporates, or dissolves. And all three of those have gone on here, but we don't know the percentage of each uh, simply because there has not been an adequate environmental monitoring program offshore there. So there's a lot we don't know about this particular incident. Is there hope, though, that uh, with that fire raging, that much of the oil might have burnt off, that it that sure. it will evaporate more easily than that heavier oil that we were comparing? Absolutely, with? And, and you know, and in, in, in some places, with, even with crude oils, uh, one of the response methodologies is to ignite it and uh, get it to burn, and that transfers the. Uh, the, the toxic pollutants into the air, and then they diffuse and drift away and disperse, and then it leaves a heavy, but it, it can also leave a denser-than-seawater uh, residue on the sea surface that can sink to the seabed. I've seen that in the eastern Mediterranean on a large oil spill there. But regardless, you know, we don't know how much of this stuff burned, how much of it evaporated, and how much of it went into solution, but it's the dissolved fraction that went into solution that I'm most concerned about because that will impact the entire pelagic ecosystem offshore there as it spreads and diffuses, and most of that has already spread far away from the site. It's probably spread 100 to 200 miles away from the initial collision site just on water currents, and it's certainly dispersed and diluted, but we know it's it's not as persistent as crude oil when it spills condensate, but it can persist for months in a in an ecosystem, and it can be acutely toxic for quite a while too. So I'm sure that there's been um, serious ecological damage from this within the water column offshore there. But there's been no comprehensive environmental assessment, so unfortunately, mm. we'll probably never know. Well, who's responsible for carrying out such assessments and for um, trying to alleviate as far as possible the damage? Because, you know, we're talking about an incident off China, but involving an Iranian tanker bound for South Korea. Right, and sank in the Japanese EEZ, exclusive economic Right, there's that too, right. (laughs) Right, and the, the tanker was flagged in Panama on the cargo the bulk carrier that hit it was flagged in hong kong and so it can't be more complicated but the responsibilities need to get sorted out beforehand in general but certainly the governments of japan and china have a responsibility and that's why on day two after the collision i was in touch with both governments urging them to to feel the comprehensive environmental assessment as well as the response to search and rescue, the very important search and rescue and firefighting that they were doing at the time, uh, which unfortunately didn't um, uh, resolve anything. And then the tanker sank. 
I urged the government of China to put an ROV, a remotely operated vehicle, down on the sunken hull a week or so ago. They did that, and they basically, just to confirm that there were no intact cargo tanks still on the sunken ship that may hold condensate, and it sounds like they confirmed our earlier suspicions that the, the tanker is in such horrible condition from a week of fire and explosion that all of the condensate, the entire million barrels, 136,000 tons, did release to the environment. So this is by far and away the largest condensate release uh, in history. So, I mean, placing the blame won't necessarily change this current situation, but it might help us. Uh, avoid such disasters in the future. This this happened as a result of a collision, correct? So, I mean, do, do we know whose fault exactly it was? Well, the, that's a, those are the, the billion-dollar questions right there, actually, Alex. Um, generally, the rules of the road in, in uh, international navigation, they were in international waters, is that the vessel to the starboard has the right-of-way in a crossing situation, and that would have been the crystal, the, the bulk carrier, the grain carrier heading to China, and the Sanchi heading north was the the stand the the give way vessel, so it should have slowed down, stopped, and let the crystal pass. Regardless, it's inexcusable that this sort of thing still occurs in these major shipping areas. Both of these huge ships have, you know, certainly attentive watch standards on the bridge. They have collision avoidance systems incorporated into their radar systems that should sound an alarm when there's a collision imminent. Um, there's no excuse for this. So something went wrong, and most of it, I'm afraid, was human error. But you're you're absolutely right. The the lesson here, the long term lesson, from all of these oil spills all over the world and shipping disasters, is once the disaster has occurred, the battle has been lost. But what we can and must do is prevent a repeat, and that's something that I think the governments of Korea, Japan, and China need, and the mariners that, you, that work in this region need to come together on very soon and conduct a vessel traffic risk assessment and identify ways to prevent this sort of thing and other potential casualties from occurring in the future, things like traffic separation schemes, routing agreements, tug escorts, expanded pilotage, positive ship tracking, sort of like air traffic control. There's a lot we can do to reduce the risk of this sort of incident and others that may occur as well, and we need to do better at doing that. It certainly sounds that way. Um, you, you talked before about the, the potential health effects. I'm sure some of our listeners will be worried about the seafood that they are currently eating. Uh, is there any way that you're aware of, of checking that, uh, of making sure it's not from this area or not been affected? Well, yeah, that's hard because they would have to they would have to inquire with the market or the restaurant from which they are purchasing it where it came from, and then trust the information source. You can do a fairly simple uh, sensory evaluation of fresh seafood products. It's smell if, if if you see any contamination or smell it or can feel it, any sort of sliminess on seafood or something like that, then it's best to avoid it. But my, my standard recommendation in this situation is to, avo- to o- consciously avoid seafood from this region from the, that could have potentially been polluted by the Sanchi uh, release until the governments can confirm that the products, the seafood products, are safe. And that's why the, the governments have a responsibility here. 
Well, you've already told us you've been in touch with China and Japan. We hope that、um, your voice will be heard. Richard Steiner, thank you so much for taking the time to speak with us today. My pleasure. Good, good, good morning to you, folks.